Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. It's a great day to be alive on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Travis Tritt song going through my head today. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Tuesday, April 13th. Thank you for joining us. A lot of stuff to discuss here on the podcast across a variety of sports, which uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a pretty awesome day. Uh, had a uh, football scrimmage this past weekend. Got some stuff to get to on that. Um, saw some people a little concerned about uh, head coach Shane Beamer's comments about not being able to throw ball, the ball down the field, need to throw it down the field a little better. Uh you know, you can take with that what you want as far as the receivers and things like that. I tend to believe that, uh, you know, the receivers are, are going to be better than last year. I, I think they're going to have to recruit their way into a better situation there, uh, just to be honest. Uh, but hope is not lost. I mean, just because of a scrimmage, in a situation where, you know, there were a lot of good things. Beaver just mentioned that as something they had to work on. So, and, uh, you know, Hell, my granddad reported on the bigspur.com that there was an emphasis on the running game uh, during the scrimmage. And I've gotten news to back that up. Uh, and, and I think rightfully so. If you guys, if you think about you know, how is South Carolina uh, with the personnel they have coming back, how are they going to move the ball this year? And if you're Marcus Satterfield and Shane Beamer and you're the deciders in it, you know, you look at it, you've got Kevin Harris, you've got Marshawn Lloyd. Zaquandre White has had a good spring, so has Rashad Amos. Uh, you've got a bevy of offensive linemen coming back. Um, I personally am kind of – it seems like Jalen Nichols is sort of sticking at the starting left guard spot with turning time at the left tackle spot, so – you know, you kind of look at that and go, wow, you know, you got some some beef up there uh, and some guys that have played a lot of football. Uh, you've got good depth and talent at tight end. Um, and, and, and Luke Doty's got some wheels to be able to run it himself. So, so the run game, I mean, and look, it, it's better, I think, to have a run game than to not. Uh, you're going to have to throw it, and it's got to be better than last year for sure. But – I think that running the football is paramount. You know, so many times, uh, I think during the Muschamp era and really during the Spurrier era as well, South Carolina was kind of a, a pass-happy operation. Um, you look at the team rushing stats, uh, and a lot, a lot of times they were down toward the bottom of the league <laughs> uh, under both of those guys. And, and so uh, – and, of course, it flipped last year. Carolina was pretty good at running the ball with Kevin Harris. But if you got those players – uh, you'd be dumb not to to try to run it. I mean, that's 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 what good teams do. They're able to run the football offensively. Uh, I'm not trying to paint sunshine and rainbows on the passing game right now, uh, especially at receiver. I think some guys need to step up, obviously. Uh, and, and you can kind of tell that by the feedback you get because you'll ask a contact one day who are some receivers doing well, and you get three names. And then you'll ask a contact again, and you get three more names, and that's a sign many times uh, of inconsistency, you know. And rather than oh, everybody's doing well, um, and so that's just kind of how it's got to go. I, I think there's some guys on the roster, uh, you know, and I'll I'll just name three: Rico Power, Xavier Leggett, and Jalen Brooks. They all have athleticism, size, and speed. Uh, the the question with them is playing receiver. Uh, how can you know? How can they be better at their position? And and the good news is, uh, you know, athleticism, size, and speed. You can't coach, but you can coach somebody up to play the position. Uh, and so I think that's a positive thing with regards to those two. And then there are other guys out there too. I mean, Ortre Smith, Dakarian Joiner. Um, you know, there's a lot of names uh, in the mix uh, for playing time. Marion Brown is a guy that's done some good things. We've got a mailbag question about him later. Uh, and, and so that's the takeaway from the scrimmage. <clears throat> uh, I think uh, the the one thing I got, you know, from an inside standpoint is Luke Doty's doing really, really well. Uh, they've been really impressed by him, surprised even uh, with the step he's taken from last year. 
you sort of knew he could do it. Um, last year, he's just kind of thrown into the fire before he was ready uh, on a team that, you know, <laughs> uh, they got a little bit of a spark when he came in and then, you know, they got boat raced by Georgia and then the Kentucky game was not a good game for Luke Doty. Uh, and so that's what sticks in people's mind. And I understand that. Uh, that's why I almost wish there had been a bowl game. So maybe Luke Doty could have gone out with a, with a positive thing and you wouldn't have to hear it. And, you know, we, we I've said many times, I think the South Carolina fan base's relationship with quarterbacks has gotten way crazy. And I don't know if it's like that at other schools, but um, I, I've been encouraged and you watch him on the live stream and with the videos from practice and stuff. And he looks bigger physically. He looks in good shape. He looks comfortable. And, and the kid's a leader. I mean, he's a guy that um, has, he works very, very hard at everything. Uh, and uh, so there, there's some, there's some good things going on there. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to compare Luke Doty to Connor Shaw because Connor Shaw was the greatest of all times, wins and losses wise. Uh, and there are some subtle differences between the two as far as their game goes. Um, but as far as style, that that's the kind of style of quarterback that he is. Uh, is like Connor Shaw. So, um, and then there's other, you know, I, I could probably pull up some other examples from around college football to get into player comparisons, but that's the one you guys know the most. So, you know, there we go. So we'll, we'll see what happens with the offense. I think uh, it's encouraging uh, to know that they do have a run game that uh, could be quite formidable this year. And that, that's very, very helpful when you're able to run the football. That opens things up in the passing game uh, to where if you're decent, you could complete some passes that uh, allows you to keep your defense off the field many times. Um, I don't expect them to go super slow and ball control <laughs> next year. Uh, I expect them to use very tempo, sort of like, some of the other offenses South Carolina's had over the years where, you know, under Spurrier and then under Muschamp where they'll go fast, go slow, go fast, go slow. It won't be a, a tempo, high, high paced, high octane, let's go run 95 plays type of deal um, for the most part from what I can tell. Uh, so the football scrimmage, I, I, I thought, you know, it's a success. Uh, nobody really got hurt. Uh, spring game's coming up in 11 days, so you guys will get a chance to see things for yourself. Uh, I'm excited about that because I'm excited to know kind of what you guys think. Um, and I'm excited to see for it with my own eyes on something other than a live stream. But um, so far, so good with football. Uh, football recruiting news. Uh, all eyes have been on the quarterback situation. Uh, and that rightfully so. Braden Davis is the next guy that's uh, the next man up for Middletown, Delaware. And, um, He's supposed to have a conference call or a Zoom call with Marcus Satterfield to talk about X's and O's and system and all that this week. Uh, that could be something that's really beneficial to the Gamecocks. I uh, don't know that he's near a decision, but he's he's trimming his list down. The Gamecocks are right there. And uh, We mentioned last week about Rutgers being a team that was in the mix for him. They got another quarterback out of Kentucky. Uh, and so that kind of helps the Gamecocks with that. Sorry about the dog. Man. All right, what happens with the dog? I'll explain this to you. All right, so there's two dogs. There's Red and Sedona. Sedona's a big lab. And Red, he's sort of over here in the studio area with me. But when she walks in from outside, he barks at her because she's a, a big uh, polar bear looking dog. And he's a little dog. And I think he gets intimidated and starts barking. Uh, but anyway, apologize for that. But that that's kind of what's happening in football right now. Those are the main storylines. Of course, we'll have more episodes this week to get into some of the nitty-gritty. Uh, also, hats off to Hale McGranahan and John Del Bianco for going to the National Prep Showcase. Uh, it's just good, man. Quite frankly, it does my heart good to see uh, some recruiting camp coverage because we've been away from it for so long. Uh, and uh, – Quan Peterson, the cornerback from South Point, got some info on him over the weekend. Gamecocks are interested. They're just kind of looking into him right now. 6'1", 175, ran 4'6", uh, and a 9'6", inch broad jump. That, that's pretty, those pretty good numbers, especially when you look at, I don't know, Quan's film, which is really, really good uh, in, in terms of coverage. Uh, tackling obviously leaves a lot to be desired. Quan also is one of the best athletes at South Point. He and 
Omega Blake led their basketball team deep in the tournament. Uh, just a player I sort of like. I mean, if he comes to Carolina or not, I think this guy, uh, as long as we can see out of him the ability to tackle, you know, be physical, that kind of thing. And at 6'1", 175, he should be. Uh, I think he's got a good chance. Kind of reminds me of Fred Bennett a little bit uh, to throw a player player comparison out there. All right, men's basketball. You knew this was coming. <laughs> Frank Martin is back. Keith and I had a good conversation about the extension on the contract. Uh, you know how I feel about the political influence into it. Uh, but there's nothing anybody can do about that. Frank Martin's coming back. And, and as far as Frank just coming back, you know, I, I like the guy. And I think uh, I, I, I think that, you know, if he's going to be given a chance to fix it, you don't bet against him. I mean, this will be his third rebuild at South Carolina. And, uh, you know, maybe having something like this happen rejuvenates it. I mean, I've, I've seen this many times where a coach is almost on the, on the brink, so to speak. Uh, and then he comes back and things get better. Uh, and, and people are going to ask how, and, you know, you're going to hear the whole can't recruit kind of thing and all that. But, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. I think there's a shot, you know, looking at some of the guys in the transfer portal they're kind of in on, um, you know, and, and the, you could catch a break and get some guys back that Keyshawn Bryant, Jermaine Cousinard. I mean, I, I don't know that anything's going to be finalized with the roster till the summer, but, you know, you sort of look at it and you're like, well, maybe there's a chance. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not going to count anything out just because I think, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, like I said, there's, I got to cover it. I got to talk about it. So there's nothing anybody can do about it. And I like Frank Martin as a person and, uh, you know, personally glad to see him get a shot when, when maybe it looked like he wouldn't um, as far as how it went down and what was the best choice, you know, I'll, I'll leave that to you guys uh, to speculate on. I've said enough about it. Uh, and so I'm going to talk about, you know, the team and, and and things shaping up and my thoughts about that moving forward. And then, you know, if there needs to be a change, we'll talk about the change next year. Uh, I don't think it's productive for anybody to continue to hammer that because it's over and done with. Uh, and, and it's not that I want to either. I'm, I'm kind of actually intrigued by – you know, the, the complete gutting of the roster and having a whole new roster. Uh, like I've said many times, my concern is, and Frank Martin said this himself, he's the type of coach that it, it takes people a while to get used to. And, um, but uh, that said, the three guys they've gotten so far from the portal, uh, Eric Stevenson, who committed over the weekend, a point guard from University of Washington. Uh, he's a defensive point guard, um, likes to play D. Uh, started his career at Wichita State. You know, they're under Greg Marshall. They're all about defense. Uh, not a great shooter. Not a not a three-point guy that needs to take a bunch of threes. <laughs> uh, but other than that, you know, he's a guy that I think defensively shouldn't have a problem buying in. Chico Carter obviously is familiar with Frank Martin and what they do, having played at Cardinal Newman with Frank Martin's son and following Gamecock basketball. And then this A.J. Wilson kid from George Mason is a defensive – kind of a defensive specialist, defensive guy, rebounder, big 6'7", 230-pound guy, block shot blocker kind of guy. Um, you know, and a guy like that, you can easily see them fitting in. Now, will they do it? I don't know. You know, I've learned not to project anybody into the starting lineup with this basketball program because I'm usually wrong because – mentally you just don't know how guys are going to react and who's going to be in the game. Then you have three freshmen coming in definitely uh, in uh, Jacoby Wright and Devin Carter. And and I think a lot of, a lot of people are, you know, mixed on Wright and mixed on Carter and, and all that. But at the same time, you know, that there is some good out there talk, you know, people talk about and this Taquan Woodley kid, uh, from Camden, New Jersey, is a lot like the A.J. Wilson kid that they got uh, from George Mason, kind of a big New Jersey baller there, South Jersey baller from the inside. Um, and so those are the kind of the six new ones. Carlos Williams from Mississippi looks like he may end up going to junior college uh, as of right now. Uh, and that's a shame because I think people were excited about him. 
uh, athletically, but uh, for based on the latest reports, doesn't look like he'll end up at Carolina as of right now. Uh, and then some really interesting news as far as high school guys go. Zaire Wade, the son of Dwayne Wade, we all know who Dwayne Wade is. He's got heavy interest in Carolina. He's Devin Carter's teammate, and you know uh, he's a pretty good player. I mean, he is Dwayne Wade's son. Uh, don't know if he'll be as good as Dwayne Wade or not, but he is a guy that. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't count on that, but uh, you know, he's a guy that's got good bloodlines, good good player. I mean, a guy that could probably come in and help. Uh, and you know, anytime you're you're kind of looking for a boost in your recruiting, if you sign Dwayne Wade's son, that's a big deal. Um, just like it helped Muschamp to sign Deion Sanders and Joe Horn's son. Uh, even though Shallow Sanders was only at Carolina for a year, and then he went with his dad to Jackson State, I, I still think that you know that helped because because that uh, anytime you get people talking about your program, that helps catch the attention of recruits, et cetera. Um, so look, uh, and, and you know the the list of people departing continued to grow. Trey Anderson's in the portal, Patrick Ariel or Ariel, however you say it got in the portal this weekend, but he wasn't with the team anyway. Uh, and then Hannibal, TJ Moss, Justin Manaya, Jalen McCreary, all in the portal. And then Jermaine Cousinard, AJ Bryant were guys that uh, ended up um, declaring for the draft and not signing agents, but they didn't do what Manaya Manaya declared for the draft, but then also said, I'm going to be in the portal just in case. So I, I don't know with Cousinard and Bryant, maybe they could get them back. You know, that's a, it's another thing to think about too. And you've got expanded scholarships next year as well, because everybody got a red shirt year because of COVID. So they could carry more. Um, and, and you just don't know, you know, and look, I know nobody's going to be excited uh, because I mean, you've, you've got a lot to, to digest here. I mean, if, you're talking about Carolina basketball. You're coming off a six and fifteen record. Uh, six wins is not going <laughs> to, you know, that's a low point. Obviously, even though they would have probably had more uh, if you want to get right down to it. Had the non-conference been able to be played and stuff like that, but still, four and fourteen in the league is not what you strive for. I think it was four and fourteen. Is how many they played? Did they get all eighteen in? Or I think that's the case. It's not what you strive for. Um, you know, it it, uh, it didn't start too well getting thumped by Liberty uh, out in Kansas City. They could have had a win over Houston with everybody out, and then that's the COVID situation that happened. And I mean, yeah, Houston went to the Final Four. So it, you know, there, there's just you know there are very few. Whereas previous seasons are, you know, beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and you're probably in uh, some sort of postseason. That wasn't the case this past year at all. Uh, I thought the most disappointing part of it was, you know, Carolina goes on the road uh, and they beat, I mean, I'm sorry, they were at home because it started out pretty well. You know, they finally got a chance to play and they played Texas A&M and whipped them pretty good. You know, had a fam game against FAMU and then whipped A&M pretty good. That was after four games were canceled. Uh, and then they had two more canceled. And then – you know, the game at LSU was a chance, and they didn't do it. And then Missouri – and then, then there was a low point with Auburn. I didn't think losing by 23 at home to a team that was going nowhere because of probation is not good. Um, but then they come back, right? Okay, so you beat Georgia, disappointing loss at Vandy, beat Florida on the road. So, so they beat Florida on the road. At that point – People were discouraged but not giving up. And you got Mississippi State, Alabama, and Ole Miss coming in before you got to go to Tennessee. And the closest they came was against Bama, who by which, by the way, was a pretty good basketball team this year. You get thumped by Mississippi State, and in a, ga a game against Ole Miss, you lose by seven, which it wasn't even that close um, during that game. Uh, and so you had that three-game homestand, and that's really when things went off the rails. Didn't win again until a road win at Georgia. 
91 to 70 at the end of February. So yeah, that, that was the, that was the deal this past year. So, you know, and, and then this roster is getting broken apart. You, you, you know, bad year this year, Frank Martin's going into his 10th year, nothing really good. Nothing's good happened in the four years since the final four. So every right to be discouraged. You're, you're, you're kind of wondering too, like I mentioned, if, if some of these guys are going to be able to adapt and play like Frank Martin wants to play, because, because when teams do that, but uh, when, when he's had buy-in on defense, his teams have been really good. Probably, you know, surpassed the, the odds uh, of, of what was expected out of them, uh, if you think about it. But they have to buy in. And unfortunately, <laughs> getting them to buy in uh, has cost them some games they shouldn't have lost. And that was before this past season. And so that's kind of where we are where we are. Where, why we are where we are with regards to him and uh, that program. And, and you just don't know. I, I will say that, you know, Eric Stevens, Chico Carter, AJ, well, probably a little bit better than I thought. You know, we're kind of used to getting the Trey Campbells, who averaged three points a game, or Frank Booker, who averaged four a game, coming in and, and you know, Martin making them better. Uh, when, when that's worked out, uh, I'm also used to some guys coming in and, sitting on the bench and so uh, and never getting off and, and so that happens too uh but you know so far so good and then there's other guys out here waiting and then there's other potential transfers out there that carolina's looking into so i you know i, I think that if they can put it together there, there's hope again here's another problem though the other problem is these other schools in the sec aren't going anywhere um you look at the coaches around the league. Uh, you, you look at what's happening at Alabama. As good as they were this year, they got a top five class coming in. They're going nowhere. Um, Arkansas on, with Musselman, I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh, I could do a whole show on what I think about Will Wade in that situation, but as long as he's there, they're not going anywhere. Auburn is not going anywhere with Bruce Pearl. Tennessee's not going anywhere with Rick Barnes. Um you know, you have to think Buzz Williams, he had a tough year this year, but they're not – A&M's not going to be down forever. Quanzo Martin is still at Missouri. Uh, you know, you even go to the Mississippis, and Kermit Davis is a pretty good coach. Uh, he'll beat you if you're not ready. And uh, then Ben Howland, who's been a pretty good coach during his career too. So uh, – and I just listened to a bunch of guys. I mean, you know, Florida – Lost a lot of players off their roster, but Mike White's getting a lot of transfers, and, and he's been to the tournament consistently, and I haven't even mentioned Kentucky. So, you know, that the league is not getting any easier. Now, Frank Martin, in most years, has proven he can win his share of league games if he's got a team that, that buys in. It hasn't been the league performance – Till this year, where it was all league, that, that's really hurt the Gamecocks. It's been inexplicable losses in the non-conference. So, I, I think I think that's step number one after they get the roster together is when you look at the schedule next year in your non-conference. You know, you you have to be win. You have to win all the bye games. I mean, that's uh, that's there's a reason they call them bye games is because you pay a team money to come in so you can beat them. And so that's 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 paramount. That that's that has to stop, you know. But just because it ends up being super costly, super duper costly, and that's why the record is all cattywampus. I mean, Frank Martin has won more games in the SEC than any other coach in the history of the program. He's had more winning seasons than the SEC by far than any coach in the history of the program, and that normally translates into postseason bids, doesn't it? I mean, don't we think? Dave Odom got to 500 once and made the NCAA tournament. And, you know, if, if the ball kind of bounces your way in most years, uh, you know, you have a winning record in the league, you'll do it. Now, Darren Horn's first team, because of the strength of schedule, did go 10-6 and six and did not make the NCAA tournament. And that was a shame because, you know, Devin Downey and Zam Frederick, they, I, thought, I thought that team was pretty good. You know, it just they had a very weak non-conference schedule. And then, of course, we know about the 25 and 9 team that was a complete screw job, in my opinion. Just when you when you got down to it, it was ridiculous that they didn't get in. But, uh, you know, 
but that hadn't translated because you know you have you have a team that went eleven and seven in the league a couple of years ago that didn't even make the NIT, and then a ten and eight team last year that was probably in the NIT if we want to get right down to it, but was not in the NCAA tournament because of these losses. And so, the, so that's that's the next step. You know, you want to kind of right the ship. Uh, I think that's what has to happen. You know, on the court, and we're not going to know about it till next year. We're not even know if they're capable uh, until next year because of the transition with the roster. Now. Let me just throw a hypothetical out at you. What if Jermaine Cousinard and Keyshawn Bryant come back and A.J. Lawson comes back? And then they add to that. That'd be a little bit different outlook, don't you think? Um, I think I would be surprised if A.J. Lawson came back, but based on some things I've heard, not not shocked. Uh, the fact that Cousinard and Bryant did not enter the portal at the same time as they declared for the draft, to me, kind of means – you know, maybe they're keeping the door open. Uh, and I know how everybody feels about Cousinard's season this past year. I think he'd probably tell you he didn't play that good. Uh, and then Bryant actually was one of the few bright spots on the team. He got better. He can he can shoot a little bit now. And obviously his highlight athleticism is good. Still drives me crazy to watch him play because it's out of control sometimes, but uh, not as often as when he was younger. But, you know, you start thinking about those guys and then you add some guys to them and, you know, maybe there's a little bit uh, of light at the end of the tunnel. But that that's the deal with basketball. Uh, like I said, I don't expect anybody to be excited. Uh, I personally am very, very skeptical of, um, of the whole thing, to be honest. I, I think that uh, – just because of who Frank Martin is, you get a lot of new faces. How are you going to get the buy-in? But but I'll say this too, and and, and you know that that's my thought. But I'll say this too, like like a, I, I dropped the big if there. Let's say Kusinar Bryant Lawson come back, you know, and then you still have Frank and uh, Wildens Levesque and and the young guy from New York that, that they got in as the bigs, and, and these new guys are buy buy-in guys, you know. Martin did lose six guys from the screw job team <laughs> uh, in 2015-16 to the final 14. He just had guys, you know, the key guys came back, notice Thornwell Dozier. Now, obviously, when you're sitting there at 6-15, and 15, you know, you're just kind of looking to right the ship and, and final four kind of deal it would be crazy out of the question, you know, to, to talk about, to predict, or, or to say. But uh, – I am going to say this, there is, there has been, have been, has been a time where there was a significant about a roster turnover and the next year turned out better. Um, and obviously they had two of the best players in the history of the program or two of the top recruits in the history of the program and Thornwell and Dozier uh, there on that team uh, hitting and, and, and Thornwell was just outstanding. So, Someone would have to be that guy, uh, you know, or, or that those couple of guys. And so far, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. Now, you know, who knows? Like I said, who knows what will happen with the basketball roster. It'll be finalized this summer. And like I said, it could go a number of directions. Don't count anything out. Uh, and, and like I said, it, there's nothing to be done about the contract situation. Um, you know, it, it's – I think it's – a fascinating story to kind of follow and see how it's all going to come together. Because while, while you're not getting a new coach, you're getting probably a, you know, most of a new roster. So there'll be different players. Uh, and so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Gamecocks baseball team got up off the mat. going to mention this briefly because uh, you know, it was just kind of a, I don't know, a series that I, I was disappointed. They lost the first game. I mean, seven to two. Uh, but it's kind of like John Whittle said, right now this team is not quite good enough defensively to be great, not quite good enough offensively on a consistent basis to be great. They're good enough to be good, but not great. And, and the loss to North Carolina stung, and then they kind of flattened out against Missouri. Thomas Farr didn't have a good start. But, uh, you know, that's uh, like Will said, that, that's going to happen. You're going to have nights like that if you're this team. The idea in baseball is to continue to not sit there and focus on one game at a time in terms of being a fan and panicking about losing here, there, or yonder. That's going to happen. What you want to do is win your series, and then at the end, you'll be playing your best baseball. 
And, and that's people have short memories because all the crap that's happened the last five, six years, but Ray Tanner's teams, you know, that's what they did. Now the difference is Tanner's teams rarely lost midweek and those midweek games will come back and bite you. Now this team's done a little better, but you know, when you, when you, when you lose to Davidson and you lose that game in, in Charlotte against North Carolina that everybody wants to win, sometimes that get you know, it gets to you a little bit, but, um, they got Charleston Southern tonight at Founders Park, so a chance to go to twenty-two and nine. Uh, but yeah, that's what Tanner did. You know, and you look at his his records in the SEC were kind of five hundred or better. You know, sometimes they'd get up to an eighteen and twelve, and they had a really good team up to like a twenty-one and nine record in the league. But it it, it, it was more of a hey, let's win our share, and then. You know, you get in the postseason, and that's what it is. And that's why South Carolina was such a good postseason team. Even the teams that didn't go to Omaha, I don't think you ever walked away. Maybe one year, maybe the year they lost in the regional up at East Carolina or the one up at NC State, kind of in the late 2000s, you kind of thought, man, you know, these guys, you know. But you really most of the time got the sense when the season was over, well, this team got as far as they could and gave it all that they had. You know, I, I, I personally always thought that. Now, had some breaks gone their way in, in different seasons. Like, I'll, I'll use 04 for an example. That 04 team was loaded and good. Uh, but, hey, they ran into Fullerton State. <laughs> uh, had maybe they not run into Fullerton State with a great pitcher and all that, maybe things would have been different. But um, there were some what ifs, but you never really walked away from a season going on. Like, all right, so the Chad Holbrook super regional team against, you know, that they, they they come back, and this was Chad Holbrook's last good team. I believe it was 2016, 2016. They had the regional against UNC Wilmington. They come back, they they it was like Gamecock baseball again, you know, marathon performance by a pitcher and a, and a come from behind Sunday regional win. And then Oklahoma State upsets Clemson on the other end of the bracket. So you get a home super regional, and then you score like what one run <laughs> in two games and get swept. You know, that's – I didn't walk away thinking that that team maximized. Now, Mark Kingston's first team that went out to Arkansas, I, I think they overachieved, you know, and, and, and took, took Arkansas who played for national championship to the wire. Uh, game-wise, that, that last game was ugly. But uh, game-wise, they went and tied it up and took them to three games. And so I think that's what you're looking for out of this team if you're a Gamecock fan. I think that you're just looking uh, where – no matter where it ends, uh, at the end of the season, you walk away and go, these guys maximized and got as far as they could uh, because that's what Gamecock baseball is all about. And Gamecock baseball always should be judged as far as the postseason goes. Uh, and, and it's very tough right now, I know, with fans because everybody has some hope for this team and football and basketball were so bad that every game it feels like there's the stakes are just high. <laughs> uh, every single game because people want to win and, and people get nervous about it and all that. But, uh, you know, game guys came back, lost 7-2 to in the opener, 11-1 to and 13-4. to I don't know what it is about Missouri and uh, – some of the uh, the teams they have it happens in women's basketball, and uh, I don't know if it happens in football. I know in football they consider South Carolina a rivalry, um, and so and I know Eli Drinkwitz, their coach, you know he kind of showed his butt when he brought App State in and beat them. And I don't know what he did last year, but their baseball team obviously had a lot to say <laughs> from the dugout on Saturday and all that, and then. You know, the final topic I'm going to get into, people need to understand this uh, about heckling and removing guys and all that. You know, my understanding is is that they're not throwing hecklers out. My understanding is is that they're throwing people out when they don't sit in the right seats. And they have to sit – you have to sit in your right seat now because of COVID. Uh, And I don't really care what you think about COVID rules and, you know – whatever, you know, whatever your opinion is of it, that, that's the bottom line. That's the price you got to pay for going to a game. And if you can't do that, then, you know, you're probably going to be asked to move at least. Um, and uh, I think another thing is, is that if you're, you know, on both sides of it, if you're a, a student or a heckler, 
and you're crossing the line and it sounds like a, a Jim Jeffries comedy sketch or a, uh, l- l- let me even go like an Andrew Dice Clay comedy sketch. You know, you're probably not too funny because you're not Andrew Dice Clay or Jim Jeffries. And if it's just completely profane, th- then there's no place for that. Heckling's an art. Be artistic about it. And then on the other side of it, if the guys that are heckling are watching their language and not being profane and you're just, you know, you don't like the chatter because it's it's not a full ballpark and you can hear it and it's annoying you, th- then you need to understand that that's not, you know, that these, that's part of baseball. Don't come to the game. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of different sides to it. And, of course, everybody blames Ray Tanner for it. And, uh, and look, had, had Tanner implemented a policy saying anybody who's heckling too loud needs to be removed? I mean, that's BS. But, guys, think about it. Ray Tanner's a baseball coach. He's not going to do that. I mean, it's, it's part of the game, you know. And uh, and I'll say this too: a couple of home series now in a row, Missouri and Florida. The as small as the crowd is has been because it's limited. The heckling has gotten to these guys. I mean, it's, it's you look at the some of the reactions of the Florida and Missouri players. It's gotten to them. Now, like I said, if it crosses a line and, and you guys got to decide where that line is, you know, don't do it. But whatever they're doing uh, has apparently gotten the other team pretty rattled. So um, hats off to, to you there. Just clean it up and hopefully this situation just goes away. I, I think it's kind of been overblown by certain people. Um, and I'm not necessarily talking about the Spurs Up show guy because he's just, you know, he likes to report what he reports. But I think certain fans maybe are stirring the pot a little bit because they don't like Ray Tanner, Uh, and I think that's what it is. I I think it's probably not as big of a deal as people think, Uh, but just in case it is, you know, that's my my opinion. You know, if you're – the two two sides of the spectrum. If you're at the game and these guys, these kids – and thank God you have students coming to baseball games. You know, a lot of schools don't. Um, and, and like I said, too, it's working. And if they're keeping it somewhat clean and it's not like, you know, crazy, uh, then they need to keep doing it. Cause it's working. You know, if, if you are crossing the line and you're a student, uh, and, and it's profane and, you know, people's kid, yeah, people gotta take their kids somewhere else, you know, or whatever, because they don't want the kids to hear it, then that's different. You know, and, and you, you'll get thrown out of just about every ballpark in the country if you get way too profane. Now, I'll let you guys define what way, way too profane is because, you know, I'm I'm not under like FCC guidelines here on the podcast, but I don't want to get into it. So anyway, that's my point there with all that. All right. How to get in the mailbag. You can email to uh, the um, – Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or, or Jared Garantano is playing at uh, Washington State. I'm going to run the run and shoot. Wow. That's interesting. Um, uh, or you could tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, and that would be uh, outstanding. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. Jojo English on Lost Letterman. I remember Jojo English. That's that's all we've got in the Vicksburg uh, pod mentions. So we'll go straight to the mailbag inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, the mailbag that you get for the email. All right, so, so Tim emails in. He said, JC, I haven't heard much talk out of camp about the wide receiver transfer from Georgia Tech. That is a Marion Brown. It seemed like it was a given. He would step in and be able to fill Shy Smith's shoes. Is it taking him some time adjusting or being in a new setting, or is he performing well and they're just not sharing a lot of info? Love the show and look forward to listening every time a new one comes out, Tim. Um, now, I, I think it's just like I said, you know, you hear different guys on different days. And, um, you know, Amarian Brown's been one of them. Beamer mentioned him the other day. I, I'll say this about Brown. I, I think talent-wise, when you watch him on film – Speed-wise, I think he'd be just as good as Shy Smith, if not better. But he is smaller than Shy, like weight-wise. He's 156. Shy was about 175, 180 at 5'11". 
Uh, and so, you know, maybe that, 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 that has been something that's been pointed out to me is he's not very big, but they expect him to be a big part of the offense this year, you know, just because of his speed, they don't have a lot of speed in his experience and all that. So don't be alarmed. You know, you read who goes out there first, you know, with the practice reports and stuff. And it's a different cluster of three guys every time. And, uh, and, and that's just, I, I think that's just kind of what Justin steps doing is trying to find the right guy and give everybody a shot. Cause he does have a big group and, you know, there are a lot of guys that you, you just don't, you know, if it were me or you, we, we wouldn't know how to, you know, pick between the two or establish any kind of pecking order without really watching them. You know, because you got everybody from Ortrey Smith who hadn't played in four years, but who caught 30 passes, who's kind of a bigger guy, uh, all the way down to, uh, you know, an Amari and Brown who just got there, who caught a bunch of passes at Georgia Tech and set broke Calvin Johnson's record. Uh, and then, you know, guys like I mentioned, Brooks and Leggett and Powers who – you know, look the part, but haven't produced. I mean, it, it just kind of – there's, you know, DeCarry and Joiners in there. I mean, so just kind of shake them up and then pull them out of a hat. But every time I've asked specifically about Brown, the only negative thing that I've heard is is he's a little small, and that's it, that they think he's going to play. So don't be don't be alarmed. So I, I think the answer to your question is neither. We've gotten a lot of information, um, I think. But uh, – you know, we've uh, we've also, you know, not heard consistently uh, about a top receiver or whatever. And I think that's by design. It's by design. All right. So Jeremy says, JC, what are you hearing about Jamar Brown and Jalen Dickerson? I'm assuming they're recovering from injury because I haven't heard any of the coaches mention their names during media questions. Um, you know, Dickerson's hurt. Uh, he was sidelined the other day. Brown has been nursing an injury, but he's coming back. I would anticipate you'll hear more about Jamar Brown moving forward just because I think when he's healthy, he's really good. You know, now I don't know what the new staff thinks about him, uh, but I think when he's healthy, he's really good, even though he's not the biggest guy. Uh, he said, also, I would love to hear you ramble some more about how you evaluate different positions and uh, what position do you feel you're best at evaluating? Best Gamecock pod out there for sure. Thanks, Jeremy. I appreciate the kind words. Um, okay, so so my best position, I think, and if you look at kind of the guys I've evaluated over the years, is defensive line. Uh, and, and I look for size, speed, athleticism, footwork. Hand violence is something that's kind of a – I don't want to say a trick of mine, but it's kind of something that I use to separate guys. Um, and I hadn't batted a 1,000, but, you know, most of the time when I evaluate a defensive lineman and he doesn't – produce he's a guy that ends up getting you know kicked off the team Torrey Davis at Florida is an example of that everybody thought I was crazy because I ranked him number one player in Florida back in the 2000s lo and behold he's the MVP of the national championship game on defense Uh, but he was a knucklehead and he got kicked off the team and you never heard from him again Uh, there was a guy named John Brown in that same class, defensive tackle guy. And Torrey was – Torrey Davis was 6'5", 290. John Brown was barely 6'1", and 292 with short arms. And I refused to put John Brown in the top 20. Florida State fans thought they were getting him, so they were, oh, my God, I can't believe this. I think this was the 07 class. Um, I was just never impressed with him. And the guy ended up going to Florida, dropping out, going to junior college, signed with Tennessee, did nothing. Nothing, nothing. So I was right about that, you know. Um, and, and look, there are some guys, though, out there that, like everybody, that just were not as good as I thought they were. And um, I'll own those as well. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But um, And maybe some guys I had a little bit too high, like up in the 30s of the top 100 nationally, when really they were like probably top 120 type of guys. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's just one of those things. It's uh, – it's a it's an inexact science, but if, if you look up and see my best spot, I think it's probably it's defensive line. I think I've hit on some corners too. Like I really like Patrick Peterson when his name was Patrick Johnson. Um, you know, receiver is probably not the strongest spot for me uh, because there are all kinds of different types of receivers, and I've been in meetings before where guys are like. 
oh, you know, the, this receiver's a stud. And I'm, I don't necessarily agree, but we rank him high and we end up looking good. Uh, quarterback's always been a mi- mixed bag for me. Um, we had Johnny Manziel and Marcus Mariota in our top 20, 247. Uh, and I rank Cam, Cam Newton a five-star out of high school. Um, but at the same time, we've also had some Jacob Parks uh, and, and situations like that where, you know, Jameis Winston was too low for us, Deshaun Watson was too low for us, that type of thing. So it's been a dramatic hit or miss there. Uh, but I haven't done it in a while. Um, last time I really got into evaluating, I was at the Under Armour game, thought I did pretty well. Uh, it's just was the 2015 class, and I came back with a recommendation of Arden Key and Christian Wilkins for five stars. Um, and I think they took my advice on Wilkins, not so much on Key, but I was pretty, I was right on about both those guys. Uh, but I haven't done it in a while, so. I just kind of, you know, watch film and give my opinion these days. But I appreciate uh, that question. That was an awesome question. Justin says, please help me understand why Braden Davis was offered before camp and why he was very highly rated by certain rankings companies. I've watched his huddle tape, and I don't see him as a four-star top 100 player. His arm is pretty good, and he is tall, but his throwing motion is off, and he's not super athletic. As a former analyst, please tell me what you see in him that makes him deserve the rankings and offers he's gotten. It's called upside. Um, you know, I don't think it's throwing motion. It's throwing motion is unique, but a lot of guys have unique throwing motion. Like Patrick Mahomes has a unique throwing motion. Uh, and, and honestly, I'd have probably docked Patrick Mahomes for that. You know, I'd have probably not quite made him a, a five-star guy. But nobody's talking about Braden Davis being a five-star uh, I think it's his upside. He's got good arm strength. Uh, and he he actually, you look at his testing, Justin, and he is athletic. Um, he, he runs 4.78 uh, and a 4.22 shuttle, which shuttle kind of measures your lateral movement. And he did it two years ago. Um, so those numbers have probably improved. Plus, he's you know got NFL bloodlines. I'm not saying he's a five-star guy. And Keith and I talked about, Gunnar Stockton being ranked below him. If I were doing the rankings, I would not have done that. I understand why Tom and, uh, and Craig and Jerry at ESPN and those guys did based on the upside. But I, I just, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have gone that far because I really like Gunnar Stockton a lot. But, uh, you know, that that's why. It's a projection, and all these rankings are projections. You, you can't – and I don't think if you're the Gamecocks, you're signing Braden Davis – uh, and, and this is all kind of because Colton Gauthier so far has been better, probably better than we thought. Um, and so, you know, you've got him, you've got Jason Brown there, and, and you've got Luke Doty, who's relatively young. You could take a while for a Braden Davis and, and get him ready uh, and hit on him, and the upside there is tremendous, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. And that's why he's got the offers, you know. Uh, and some of those offers, you know, came from schools who ended up getting other quarterbacks. And so they're not committable offers anymore. But that's the deal. Thanks for your question, Mr. White. Appreciate it. Keith says, JC, speaking of assistant coaches taking over for legendary coaches, Josh Pastner was a failure taking over for John Calipari at Memphis. Was Pastner – was a Pastner a uh, – an assistant for Coach Cal there? I didn't think Pastner. I thought Pastner took over for Tubby. Let me just look here. Oh, now he replaced John Calipari. You're absolutely right. And okay, yeah. So he, but he was at Arizona. Oh no. And uh, he got, yeah, he got promoted. You're right, and he was a failure. Um. To a certain extent. I mean, let's kind of look at it. I mean, he was 167 and 73. He went to the NCAA four straight years. And then they went 18 and 14, 19 and 15. And, and, and he left for Georgia Tech, got out ahead of the posse. So I don't know. Was he a failure compared to Coach Cal? Yes. And whoever replaces Coach Cal at Kentucky will be a failure. Um, but not uh, – not overall, and I think Josh has done a good job. And I've, look, I've always been skeptical about Josh Pastner. I've always kind of thought he was a lot like 
Bryce Drew, not Scott Drew, Bryce Drew, and that he's a recruiter, not a coach. And um, but what he did at Georgia Tech this year was impressive. I mean, they, you know, their best player had no offers. Unfortunately, he was hurt for the NCAA tournament. They won the ACC tournament. Georgia Tech did for the first time in forever. So uh, I think I think Pastor's done a pretty doggone good job at Georgia Tech in a tough situation and wasn't horrible at Memphis. But you, I mean, you're right. It, it, it didn't end well, and uh, he did not live up to um, did not live up to what Cal had, and he was 31 years old. So, but that's uh, that's an interesting point to bring out. I'm glad to kind of look that up and uh, and talk about that because I've always had some opinions about Pastor. Uh, being a coach and all that but um, you know we'll see kind of uh, kind of how that goes all right Mitchell says I got a question about the podcast primarily about the system 24-7 sports uses for ranking high school football players obviously they have two different ranking systems the 24-7 sports composite and the top 247 with this what is the main difference between these two ranking systems and how come some are ranked higher in one or the others uh, for example, when J.C. Horn was a high school recruit, he was a four-star by composite and only a three-star by top 247. Speaking of which, why doesn't 24-7 Sports use just one grading system for high school prospects and with J.C.? By doing the math, his grade would have been an 89.94. No, that's not right. Uh, and I'll explain here in a second. If there was one grading system, personally, no disrespect to 24-7 Sports, but I do wish they would only have one grading system because I get confused seeing guys ranked high in one and one in the other. Okay, so what the 24-7 sports composite is, it's 24-7 sports rankings. That's a third. Rivals.com's rankings are a third. ESPN.com's rankings are a third. And so all the different – and what that does is it creates a more – I think a better ranking just because you have a bunch of – the more eyeballs you have on guys, the better – and so you're not just using your own eyeballs. Uh, and we have a very robust recruiting team at 24-7 Sports. Um, but you're, you're taking everybody's uh, opinions and, and, and rankings and spitting out an industry-generated composite. And that's also what we use for the team rankings because that's kind of a reflect – that's like the overall national rankings. I mean, they're accurate. That's everybody's player rankings are feeding into that – uh, also, the coach recruiter rankings use the 24-7 sports composite exclusively. Um, the reason we still have 24-7 sports rankings is obviously that's a third of the composite. And obviously, you know, we want to show you kind of what our guys think. And then that creates content and stuff as far as like, you know, did our own 24-7 sports rankings beat the composite or the industry or whatever. Um, and, and, and look, it, it is confusing. And maybe maybe we should – I understand. Sorry. I don't think it's confusing because I've been, you know, immersed in it for gosh, 12 years, 10 years now. Um, but maybe, you know, there's a situation, there's a better way to explain it. Um, and, and maybe they should do that. I mean, I understand why some people do get confused, but that that's, you know, that's what you got to get. The 24 seven sports composite is the most important because it's everybody, and it counts toward your team rankings and things like that. And 24-7 sports is just kind of what our guys think, uh, if that makes any sense. Uh, and your, your math there is wrong because that's not – that's if, there, if we only used one grading system, J.C. Horn would have been a three-star and it would have been a, would have been a bad miss by our guys <laughs> um, on the top 247 because that would have just only been that, Mitchell. Uh, but I certainly appreciate that question. That's pretty awesome. Um, Keith said, if you had to pick a new mascot for the Gamecocks, what would you choose? <sighs> well, I wouldn't. <laughs> I like the mascot. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how I'd feel if it were something else. But maybe, you know, I'd probably go with something, you know, because the Gamecocks are so unique. I'd probably go with something unique like the Sand Lappers. Or, um, you know, back in the day, the, the University of South Carolina, South Carolina College, I think, it's called the, the Jaguars for a little while. You know, Jaguars are cool, I guess. But I'd probably go with the Sand Lappers just because that's kind of the, the state thing. That's what the Shrine Bowl team's name is. The sand Lappers, that's a unique thing. I don't know if you'd have a, what mascot you'd have or whatnot. But uh, 
I'll always say this. I, you know, I, I'm a big, big animal lover and any kind of animal abuse or anything like that just sets me off. But, and, and, you know, cockfighting probably is brutal to a certain extent, but, but I also know this, I know that chickens live a hard life. Um, A lot of chickens end up, you know, getting boiled and boiled their feathers off on a conveyor belt and uh, get their heads chopped off. And they're the delicious chicken that we enjoy on the grill. Um, and, and, and they're packed in a big truck when you see feathers blowing everywhere and, and they go off to their death. Uh, you know, I know roosters sometimes live about as long as uh, the farmer wants them to. And, and then they, they've crowed one too many times early in the morning. and <laughs> That's it. And so the life of a chicken or a rooster, you know, it's a tough life. And, and so would you rather go out like that? Or would you rather go fight to the death? You know, if I'm a rooster, I'm probably choose taking my chances with fight to the death. Um, and, and I don't condone any dog fighting, none of that. I mean, I'm, you know, that's, that's different. That's, those are dogs. These are chickens, roosters. Uh, and, and so I am anti, you know, this PETA thing where they want to change the mascot stuff. And this came up about 17 years ago. That people tried to make it a big deal. I'm, I'm not in favor of that just because it is what it is. Now, you know, do I think everybody should legalize cockfighting around in the United? No, 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 no. I don't think that at all. I just think that, you know, when it gets right down to it, you know, as, as a society, how we treat chickens is a lot different than how we treat dogs. And, uh, and I think chickens have less options of having a good life or a good ending to it purpose, so to speak. Uh, and so uh, if I am a chicken, a rooster, uh, I'm, I'm fired up about getting in the arena so the farmer doesn't shoot me or so I'm not somebody's delicious meal. All right. There we go with that. Thanks, Keith. That's a, that's a good question. Mitchell comes back. He says, hi, JC. I hope all is well. I was listening to one of your podcasts and heard a what if scenario regarding if Carolina would have beaten Gonzaga and challenging UNC and Phoenix. Uh, and the J.C. and Morgan podcast, which you and Mike discussed in 18 playoff. For some reason, it brought back to the 2013 Carolina football team that finished number four in the country. And I honestly believe if there was an 18 playoff, I could have seen the Gamecocks beat Michigan and Florida State back then. Nevertheless, Carolina has dropped dramatically. And according to what I've heard, they say Spurrier quit. But look at the recruiting rankings. It seemed Carolina recruited fine. A lot of busts in those recruiting classes, though, man. Lots. Uh, it's a complex question, but how did Carolina become so bad after 2013 in football? Um, all right, so here we go. All right, so they didn't – the 2014 team wasn't bad. Uh, it just wasn't an 11-win team. But if you think about it, the defense was bad and awful, especially crunch time. <laughs> um they blew two, three, fourth quarter double digit leads. Carolina wins those three. They're going to Atlanta. Now, they're probably not going to be that successful in Atlanta against that Alabama team, but they're going to Atlanta and winning the division. And so I think that was more of a one side of the ball type of deal. And I think, I think that the problem was is that Carolina was really good on offense that year with Dylan Thompson. But then you came back the next year, Spurrier's, you know, final year where he quit. And I think they thought they had found some fixes on defense. I think they thought John Hoke would help fix the defense. I think some of the junior college guys they got in, Dante Sawyer, uh, you know, uh, the guy on the end, the big, big time guy from Greenwood, big time recruit that ended up not being as good. Um, but what Spurrier didn't do, in that situation was fix his coaching staff on that side of the ball. He just added hope to it. And it was a disaster because you had Lorenzo Ward and Deke Adams coaching defensive line. And, you know, so that's so that 2015 defense actually had some guys that ended up being pretty good players at the end, but they didn't take enough of a step forward. And then on offense, you didn't have a quarterback, you know, Connor Mitch was supposed to be the guy, but, that didn't work out too well. And, and honestly, and Spurrier started Perry Orth the whole season. 
He probably wasn't equipment because they're probably they could have probably beaten Kentucky. You know, they did beat North Carolina. They may may have. You know, you started Lorenzo Nunez out at Missouri and lost 24 to 10 because your offense just couldn't go. I mean, Perry Orth could have maybe helped them do that because Perry Orth would have been executing Spurrier's offense and you did have Farrow Cooper on that team and Jamal Adams and, and some guys like that. But um, Jarrell Adams, not Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams, another guy. But, uh, yeah, and it, and it goes on. The email from Mitchell says, it would be nice to for you to go through a podcast about that. I can, I can get into all that. Um. Later, but the, the answer is is this, and, and then when Muschamp came in, they had a lot of attrition. And here's an interesting thing for you: uh, I think I was told 24 guys left the program. Only three of them even went to play football anywhere else. So there was a lot of dead weight, and um, and fortunately for Shane Beamer, he's not inheriting that type of situation. And I, I don't care what anybody says. I mean, there's a lot of, you know down in the dumps people out there that are like, oh, it's a year zero type of situation or whatever. And, and I'm here to tell you, I don't care what you say. It's not, and it shouldn't be. So that's the bottom line. All right. So the dog's growling again. And there it goes. Um, but anyway, that's all the time we have on today. Thanks for the mailbag questions. Again, inside the game, Cox at gmail.com or tweet to at the big spur pod. Please follow that. Please follow Instagram at inside the Gamecocks and uh, go check out the big I'll be back tomorrow with more stuff. Also be on JB and Goldwater tomorrow uh, and uh, some more stuff later in the week from yours truly. All right, this is JC Sherbert signing off.